0: Welcome to Save For Later, a podcast about internet culture and the tabs our brains can't close. I'm Michael Sun, and coming up, we are dipping right into our mentions. Our second mentions, that is.
3: Once you hear about them, or once a name is put to them, you start seeing them everywhere. You start thinking in the grammar of second mentions.
0: The Twitter-based living repository of language which collects the internet's most awkward, amusing writing. According to former Guardian Australia prodigal son, Nenzo, who is joining us a little bit later. I can't
3: believe they had to write that down you know i can't believe that someone had to create an entry for that
0: but first alex is very sadly away this week she will be back but in her absence i have once again brought in our long-suffering producer miles p herbert miles how are you
2: Hello, I am good, Michael. Yes, I am indeed back. I actually don't even really exist when microphones are turned off. I just kind of reappear again when podcasts need guesting.
0: Thank you so much for your service.
2: My main goal in life is to make your life easier. So today I've actually brought you something. Mm -hmm. I'm ready. Do you know what synesthesia is?
0: Yes, question mark. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Like, I feel like synesthesia... Is the condition where people will associate different senses, um, as in like touch, sight, smell, sound, mm. with a different sense. And I also feel like I've seen a bunch of celebrities coming out and talking about how they have synesthesia and how that influences their music creation process. Like I feel like I've heard Lord talk about it. Mm. So you have synesthesia. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's almost like a sixth sense. I mean, maybe. That sounds quite fancy. I'm, I'll take it. Um, the line on her iconic track, Green Light, obviously, which seems like it's, like, nodding to those experiences as well. It inspires a bunch of stuff. So, like, all of my videos, for the most part, have to do with synesthesia. I've definitely seen, like, Billie Eilish give interviews about it. All of my artwork, all of my... Everything I do live, all the colours reach. each so, it's having its moment, you know, we're in our synesthesia
2: era, if you will. Yes, the vibe has really shifted towards synesthesia, but it's also kind of blowing up on TikTok.
3: I have auditory visual synesthesia, which is a rare uh, neural cross-wiring of the senses and basically means that I see colors, patterns, um, and textures when I hear sound.
2: Videos with the hashtag synesthesia have close to 300 million views.
0: I have something called synesthesia. I hear colors and associate words with colors. Some people associate words with taste.
2: And you're... Absolutely right. Essentially, it's a perceptual condition where two senses are crossed, meaning people with the condition can smell colors or see music or taste sounds. My senses of sound and color are crossed. So essentially, when someone talks to me, I see a color. And because of that, it's turned into this perfect TikTok fodder.
3: People have been asking recently what their voices look like, and I'm happy to tell you guys if you created a video on TikTok of yourself speaking and tagged me, um I can do edit and tell you what your voice looks like.
2: It's turned into this weird cycle where people with a condition are receiving countless comments and requests from people begging them to taste their names.
3: If your name's Chloe,
0: you're a glue stick. <laughs> Like now that I think about it, this is probably.
3: The or
2: describe song. the color of their favorite song. James Charles'
0: voice tastes like five dollars vodka in a plastic bottle. I can see so easily how this could go viral. It kind of plays into this whole idea of like the virality of personality tests and the like on the internet, mm. where it's like people really want to just find new excuses for talking about themselves <laughs> um, on the internet. <laughs> essentially. And these like synesthesia accounts are somehow allowing them to do that. Is that right?
2: Yeah, I think so. Some people will even pay to have people with synesthesia describe their names. So it's almost like Radiohead's (sighs) pay-what-you-want model, but for describing sounds and colors associated with requests. And I guess like slightly less criticism of Thatcher, Uh, but that's like besides the point, that's a whole other podcast. And like some requests are so insanely unhinged. One person asked someone with synesthesia to recreate the iconic scene from the film Ratatouille, Mm -hmm. where the main character tastes cheese for the very first time and there are literal fireworks.
0: Everybody wants to see my brainwaves while I eat strawberries and cheese like
1: Remy off Ratatouille. So here we go. The strawberries and the
2: cheese. Here's and the some people who give these requests don't necessarily get the answers they're looking for. One person... Asked for their parents' names to be described, only to be met with someone telling them that it smells like soiled underwear. Kirsty's like um, a mur- murky, pissy, pissy knickers left in a locker room. It's um, so like you can smell murky piss as soon as you walk in the room.
0: What sensation is associated with my name, Miles? Like, give me, like, how it smells or tastes or looks like.
2: Well, I've dug deep into the hashtag synesthesia Mm -hmm. on TikTok. I've dug deep into synesthesia TikTok to find this for you, Michael. And according to user at ebay.co.uk, so she's English. Trustworthy. Yeah. Yeah. Your name, apparently, when it is mentioned to her, the thing that is immediately brought into her mind is...
0: Mike. Mike. Volkswagen symbol.
2: The logo for Volkswagen.
3: If you want to tell me this is not Mike, bro, are you okay? Callum.
0: Class trader, moving <laughs> swiftly onwards. <laughs> Please tell me that this is not like the overarching mood here. Like, give me another.
2: Well, let's move swiftly on to taste. According to the user at Friday afternoon tea, which leads me to believe they might also be, be English, British. Yes, your name tastes like young willow bark,
1: willow tree bark.
2: Every time she hears your name, every time your beautiful name, Michael, is. Called out loud, she tastes in her mouth the wonderful, wonderful taste of young willow bark.
1: Michael's, like, chewing on, like, um, willow tree bark.
0: I don't think I can actually conjure that taste up in my mind. But I also have to say, like, it's hard for me not to be skeptical that my name does indeed taste like willow bark. And maybe it's just because I I take everything I see online with a massive grain of salt.
2: Yeah, I think there's actually been a lot written about people who turn their various conditions into TikTok content. And there's been some questions about whether that's a good or a bad thing. There's actually a really good article in Wired about people with synesthesia. And it says something like 4% of the population have it. It's so small. like That's such a small portion of the population. And because It's really hard to see, like a pain condition or ADHD. There's been, like, historically so much skepticism around something like synesthesia. So, a lot of people who turn to TikTok are actually looking for a community. They're looking for a place to be able to articulate what's going on inside their own head. And I think that reflects this growing trend around the self-reinforcing nature of the algorithm on the For You page, as in you're more likely to be like drawn to this kind of content. If you have synesthesia, you're more likely to be into synesthesia content on the platform, which means it's going to continue to pop up and pop up and pop up in your feed, and you might just end up making it yourself as well.
0: And obviously, I think it can be a really positive thing, like people who find community on the app. But I do worry also that synesthesia is just like the next frontier of turning very serious conditions into this romanticized ideal that helps people build their platform on socials. And all this is being exacerbated by the sheer speed of the TikTok algorithm and the way it kind of unfailingly always rewards people who play into these existing trends,
2: I think that's really interesting. And we've seen conversations like that sprout up around people with ADHD or disassociative identity disorder on TikTok who are actually diagnosing themselves with these various conditions based off of what's popping up in their For You page. And the writer of this Wired article, Amelia Tate, kind of put this idea to some of the people on TikTok with synesthesia And they say, listen, their condition is obviously 100% real, but they're also just having fun on the platform. So that thing I mentioned to you earlier about the dirty underwear, while the person who made that post, his condition is real, he does admit that the request to do those names was completely faked because he just wanted to tell someone that their dad's name smelled like uh, pissy underwear.
0: Oh my God. Just a form of internet fun. So I think it makes a lot of sense that people on TikTok are just doing this at the end of the day for a bit of a laugh.
2: Yeah, I think we talk a lot about the ill effects of social media and we have 100% gone in pretty hard on the For You page algorithm. But sometimes it just serves up something nice.
0: Next, this is the second reference of our second segment about the Twitter account, Second Mentions. And we are back. And by we, I mean me. I am once again alone, but it's okay. We have another very special guest right here. Naaman Zoe is a former Guardian Australia reporter and current copy editor at the New Yorker. The internet aficionado, linguistic lip smacker, and former muckracker is here to talk to us about one of his favorite Twitter accounts. Naaman, hello. Hello, Michael. It's so good to be back. Naaman, the title of the meeting we are currently recording on is The Prodigal Son Returns. (laughs) How do you feel returning to the grand organisation that is The Guardian?
3: Well, yeah, I'm I'm so glad to be back. You couldn't keep me away. And, I mean, I think it's really fitting because much of the background for this article I wrote and much of the background about Second Mentions comes directly from Guardian Australia. So it really would be remiss of me (laughs) to not, you know... Come back and talk about
0: it. Damon, listen, on this podcast, all we end up talking about every week is the silly little internet oddities that define our feeds and our lives. We recently had on Depths of Wikipedia digging into the weird world of Wikipedia, but this week we have another internet eccentricity. It is Second Mentions, that Twitter account where 17k people tune in every day to find out what weird and funny and absurd linguistic gymnastics journalists are performing to avoid mentioning the same word twice. Naaman, it's one of your favourite accounts. You wrote an article about it for The New Yorker. What is a Second Mention?
3: Yeah, get ready to have your um, minds blown, listeners. Second Mentions is a Twitter account run by a British couple that essentially collects all the various ways that people find to say the same thing slightly differently. So once you start tugging that thread, you can actually find examples of it throughout the whole of literature. <laughs> For example, John Milton in Paradise Lost. So spake the apostate angel, though in pain, vaunting aloud. Calls Satan at least seven different things in the first book.
0: Satan, thou chief of many throned powers that led the embattled seraphim to war under thy conduct.
3: And the opening line of Lolita by Vladimir Nabokov.
1: Lolita, light of my life.
3: Lolita. Is essentially just an exercise in constant second mentions.
1: She was low, plain low, in the morning, standing four feet ten in one sock. She was Lola in slacks. She was Dolly at school. She was Dolores on the dotted line. But in my arms, she was always Lolita. So
3: Second Mentions tweets out examples drawn mostly from journalism. So news and magazines, sometimes radio, from all around the world. And it basically picks out slight synonyms to avoid repeating themselves.
0: What are some of your favorites? I feel like we need to do like a greatest hits round because I have been digging into this account for like years and every time I see like an absurd one, I'm instantly like click, bookmark. And now the entirety of my Twitter bookmark section is just like second mentions.
3: (laughs) I love it. That's what I want to hear.
0: But give me your favorites.
3: So some of my favorite examples, an old Guardian article that referred to Halloumi Makers of Cyprus's hallowed halloumi cheese can breathe a sigh of relief. On second mention as the famously textured dairy product. (laughs) No one but them will be allowed to sell the rubbery, salty and much-loved dairy product within the EU. (laughs) New York Times describing Grumpy Cat, the internet meme, as the sourpuss with the piercing look of contempt, Mm
0: -hmm. which
3: was actually in the cat's obituary. (laughs) Oh, and... Time magazine describing Connell's chain from normal people as the romantically charged accessory. <laughs> These are ones that didn't make the cut for my
0: article. We're really digging deep into the well here, you know. <laughs> like, this is exclusive content that's been given to Save for Later.
3: Yeah, this is Save for Later subscribers only, yeah. <laughs> and this, this one I think is actually my favourite. The character Mr Toad from The Wind in the Willows
0: mm-hmm. as, quote, the chaotic amphibian. <laughs> <laughs> i got to say, like, I really love these animal ones specifically because there are just, like, so many weird and wonderful ways to describe the beautiful world of fauna um, out there. Um, one of my favourites is it's been used in, in an article about a sausage dog who inflated and then deflated, um, and they called this sausage dog the distended dashing. Um <laughs> And I actually think that there's another line in this piece which says, the four-year-old went from wiener to whopper due to a hole in his windpipe. <laughs> <laughs> which is just a beautiful use of language and then you have like the maybe i would say almost accidental second mentions where it's perhaps not someone like just like like being very creative with language it's actually someone using it very functionally but it turns out being absurd um i think one of my favorites there is there was a tweet that was made by teen vogue about Malala, where they describe her as the former Teen Vogue cover star, <laughs> incredible. <laughs> um, which is all she is, of course. Um, it's her most important credit to date. <laughs> um, but you spoke to the founders of this account who, you know, they collate instances of this on Twitter. They get submissions from people all around the world. They share this joy and delight with us. their loyal followers. They're a British couple, as you said. Why do they do it? What actually made them start?
3: So, yeah, I I spoke to uh, the secretive admin of Second Mentions, which was a huge career highlight for me, first of all. So I was very excited to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, Why do they do it? Well, one of the admins told me that it started as a thing that basically they kept to themselves, so this couple... um, they always love them and they just, you know, love to laugh at them. Uh, but one of the admins is herself a journalist. She works at a national newspaper based in London. Mm-hmm. So it's very much something that she's been immersed in and that she, for many years, like many people who read or work in journalism, that you end up encountering every day over and over again. So, yeah, so it's very much from sort of within the house of <laughs> English media. And so they were very particular. Their identities had to be kept top secret. So it was very funny. I asked the, one of the admins, you know, does your work friend, you know, does your best friend at work know that you are second mentions? And she said no. I think it was maybe something she hadn't actually thought about. But there are all these people in this, um, in this office with her who follow second mentions, who don't know that it's their colleague.
0: And presumably she's also posting things about her own place of work as well. Um it's very it's 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 all very like CIA. It's very like MI6 vibes. <laughs> yeah, she's a she's a mole. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like having followed Second Mentions for so long now and now working at The Guardian, I will often try to sneak in some of my writing into um into my articles in the hopes of making it onto the account um if my editor is listening to this um you're welcome i feel like there was one time i was writing about um the new mario movie starring chris pratt um and i referred (laughs) to mario and luigi as the hazard prone italian brothers (laughs) um um, i'm really curious have you ever done this because i know that you are the king of second (laughs) mentions yeah
3: um well, yeah, I think second mentions are one of those things that once you hear about them or once a name is put to them, you start seeing them everywhere. Mm. They're very infectious. You start thinking in the grammar of second mentions and you start wanting to put your own your own in. It's definitely, um, I think, a badge of honour to be featured by second mentions. And mm-hmm. there is definitely an element, I think, of people egging each other on. So, yeah, once you follow second mentions, you can see <laughs> all the various ways you're... Your colleagues or your, um, you know, your peers are having fun, and you are pushed to push to do that. Definitely, in the Guardian Australia office when I was working there, there would be this real ripple of excitement uh, when one of your colleagues was featured by second mentions. Mm-hmm. People mm-hmm. would, you know, congratulate each other or tag each other in it. I remember once I was featured, I think, I've to be honest, I think I've been featured a few times. One, I think, which is I'm proudest of, was I was writing a news article about a scientific study, which is, this obviously um, sounds insane, but a scientific study where scientists painted cows to see whether it would deter flies from landing on them. Okay. Um, and they found that it did. And I think in a moment of inspiration, I... Referred, I on first mention, they were painted cows, and then on second mention, they were lacquered bovines. And <laughs> I sort of knew, when I put that in, I knew that it had a pretty, it had a
0: 50-50 chance of making <laughs> making it onto second mentions, and it did. I feel like the phrase lacquered bovine also kind of leans towards some of the most beautiful examples mm. of second mentions, where it almost turns something that, Otherwise, might be quite you know dull or quite pedestrian, not saying that painted cows are dull or pedestrian by any means, but it turns you know this article about a study into something quite poetic like you describe another example of of a second mention where they call a sex doll a lust vessel which seems to go quite far beyond its literal definition and into this like two-word meditation on human desire and objectification (laughs) like it's very like baby shoes for sale never worn like
3: um, (laughs) yes exactly
0: yeah (laughs) like the beauty of these second mentions lies in the fact that you can literally eke out the poeticism of the English language in such few words, is that also like why, you know, subconsciously we're drawn towards it?
3: That is the beauty of it, right? It's that in our desperation to find a synonym, to make something sound a bit less awkward and just to say something different, uh, we end up distilling things into their most elemental parts and then sometimes maybe mashing them together. It sort of like points out the absurdities of writing professionally for a living in that if you force all these writers on deadline or, you know, sub-editors who need to find a catchy headline or catchy byline into constantly creating new articles, you will generate (laughs) these incredible, you know, new phrases and you generate new, new language almost.
0: It's actually meditation on overwork and labour rights.
3: Yeah, it's, it's actually about capitalism, second mention.
0: <laughs> well, everything is. <laughs> so, as I said at the start, you know, like, this is a podcast that's all about our favourite niche online accounts. Depths of Wikipedia, New New York Times is another one that you mentioned in the article as well. Why do you think people delight in collecting these things online?
3: Well, first of all, because they they poke fun at journalism. So New New York Times, for example, is an account that posts the first time a new word is featured in the New York Times. New New York Times is funny, right? Because (laughs) every few days it will put up like the word hentai and then (laughs) people will go, I can't believe they had to write that down. You know, I can't believe that someone had to create an entry for that <laughs> in the paper of record. Mm. Um, and Depths of Wikipedia is is funny because everything on Wikipedia has to have this encyclopedic tone, you know, even if it's stupid. And we sort of recognise that, that that's sort of just what you have to do if you want to communicate knowledge over the internet, is you have to write like that sometimes. So I think... In a way, that's why Second Mentions is so funny because you see divorced from context, the um, incredible, you know, linguistic gymnastics that we have to do just to write news and just to tell a story about a painted cow or something.
0: I'm also very interested by this um kind of long history of this of the second mention that you also talk about in this in this article, where you hark back to kind of like this 1906 term by a guy who you describe as the legendary style guru and pedant H. W. Fowler, who called um, this this phenomenon elegant variation, which I think, again, like nods to the whole beauty and poeticism. Of it all. Um, But there's a long history in this kind of thing happening, right?
3: Yes, there is. And it's not just about journalism. It's actually really about language and about linguistics. So, as far back essentially as some of the earliest examples of um, written or spoken literature, like the Odyssey or the Iliad, people have been putting in second mentions. So, in ancient Greek poetry and Latin poetry. The closest technique is something called an epithet, which is basically, you know, it's an alternate way to refer to someone. And, you know, the ancient Greek poets had a term for this, which is called um, antinomazane, which I may be pronouncing wrong, but in English has also become the poetic technique of antonomasia. You know, it's not just funny from a journalism angle, because the phenomenon of the second mention is actually intrinsic to all human language and basically to the way that human brains work. So for the article, I spoke to this professor of linguistics called Kristen Syrett, and she said that second mentions are related to this concept called the repeated name penalty. So that's something that is essentially just a natural part of speech and uh, affects everyone and is a part of the way we process sentences where if you hear the same word or the same name too often in a sentence or a paragraph, it actually slows your reading time and your ability to process. So it sounds awkward, it sounds weird, and it's also distracting.
0: Well, the entirety of human history has led us to this moment. Um, Naaman, I feel like I can't let you come on this podcast without giving us some original second (sighs) mentions. And in fact, what we have decided to do here, um, because we are, agents of sadism um is we're actually gonna spring a quiz on you are you ready are you ready
3: i was born for this. just say yes
0: or no and then i'll tell you the rules yes i'm ready Okay, great. We are going to read out to you, or specifically, I am going to read out to you some terms, some phrases, some concepts that you have written in the past for <laughs> oh this gosh. great publication.
3: I didn't realise might <laughs> be, be my own articles,
0: for sure. And I'm, and I'm going to ask you to come up with a second mention on the spot. I'm ready. Number one, escaped baboons. <laughs> What's the second mention?
3: Okay. <clears throat> escaped baboons um you can have the fleeing the rambunctious primates
0: <laughs> or the, the fleeing primates perfect second example the famous sky whale balloon artwork oh, by patricia piccinini my mind
3: is is always at least 80 percent sky whale second mentions at any point
0: we know we know <laughs> um the iconic multi-boob artwork <laughs> Um, that's also personally how I describe myself when I look in the mirror. Um so <laughs> round three, the Australian long-haired rat. The majestic creature.
3: What else can you say? The
0: majestic creature. The national icon, yeah. <laughs> the, the national icon. Um, and then something that you and I share a passion for um is is rodents, for lack of a better word. Um, and continuing this very rodentine theme. Give us a second mention for the rat from Ratatouille, Remy the rat. What are we calling him? Remy the rat. Well,
3: I mean, it's hard because I literally have written so many <laughs> second mentions for Remy the, um, <laughs> the gastronomic um, hero. <laughs> I couldn't say. I couldn't say rodent again. That was my problem just then.
0: <laughs> Your final score, of course, four rats out of four rats, as expected. Of course. Thank you so much once again, David, for joining us on this podcast of record <laughs> um, live from New York once again thanks for playing
3: thank you i really i really really enjoyed
0: it It's time for Top of the List. We've kicked Naaman out. We've brought back our producer, Miles, who's just gatekeeping Top of the List away from our um, episode guests. Miles, what is your Top of the List this week?
2: So, I have a movie for you. It's very dumb. Mm -hmm. It is, in fact, a children's cartoon, but I absolutely loved it. It is called Chip and Dale. It is a completely needless reboot (laughs) that, like so many movies these days pokes fun at the idea of reboot culture. I would say it's kind of like a mix between Roger Rabbit and Robert Altman's The Player.
0: (laughs) That's the exact genre mashup that I would like to see. Um, I have been um, rediscovering this album, actually. Um, It's an album by an artist called Elizabeth, who is from Melbourne, and she just has like the most insanely grand, almost like choral voice. You know how it does us wrong. It's an album called The Wonderful World of Nature and it's just been a very peaceful listen throughout this incredibly rainy week. Thank you for listening, if you like this podcast, you could take time out of your extremely busy day and drop us a rating or review. This podcast was produced by Miles Herbert and Joe Koning, who also handcrafted the music. Exec producers are Steph Harmon and Miles
1: Martignoni. Catch you next week.